Earth 2, a world much like our own, yet slightly different. There, young and old have joined forces to battle evil, the newest heroes joining the champions of the Golden Age, presenting Tales of the Justice Society of America. Hello and welcome to Tales of the Justice Society of America, episode number 26. I am Scott Gardner. And I am Michael Bailey. And how's it going tonight, man? That's going okay. Allergies are kicking my ass right now. I've The grass pollen's out, and apparently that is the bridge too far for my allergies and me, so <laughs> I have been fucking miserable. Oh, I'm sorry. It's Okay. <laughs> I wonder if that's why I've been having such wicked headaches lately. Is he's the damn pollen and all that crap? Well, that's what's going. I know that's what's going on with me. So <laughs> it's not a tumor. It's not a tumor. Not a tumor. At least I hope so. Anyway, um, now we were uh, talking. Of these people that are. <laughs> we were talking just before we got started, and uh, we discovered that we have possibly a little bit of a dilemma that we wanted to uh, to talk about here, which was basically the breakdown of episodes between where we're at right now and where we want to be, honestly speaking. And yes. uh, we have a lot of uh, we have a lot of um, material to cover before we get where we want to be. Where we want to be is Michael and I are both so itching to get to. All-Star Squadron number one. Yes. That's really, when we came up with this idea of, of the Tales of the Justice Society, that was the book that we really both had prominently in our minds was, was that particular series. You know, but also covering you know, what we covered with, with All-Star 58, you know, All-Star Comics 58 forward and all that. And then things that we'll cover later on, like... Uh, Infinity Inc. and Starman and, and JSA books like that, but really it was All Star Squadron that I, I think you could fairly say was the inspiration for this show. So we're really itching to get to that era, but we have some things that need to be covered in the interim. You know, now that we've wrapped up with uh, All Star Comics and Adventure Comics, things like uh, Power Girls Origin and Showcase, which we'll be co- tackling. Uh, in an episode or two and just, just some different appearances and what, but what we were talking about and really kind of debating about whether we wanted to cover or not was for a brief time for about, what is it? About 15 or 16 issues. Wonder woman in her own title switched over to the adventures of the earth to world war two era. Wonder woman about yeah. the time that the, the television series did the same thing, it switched over to being about Wonder Woman in, in the World War II era. Am I, am I telling that story right? Am I, have yes, I, got my facts yeah, I, I believe that is, that, that's how it went, is that you know, the, the TV series was in World War II. And quite frankly, if you, if you want a textbook case of how freaking uh, 
badly, you can screw up and be inconsistent with a character. It's Wonder Woman <laughs> because those people never really knew what to do with her at all. Right. So I guess because the show was set during World War II, they thought, hey, let's have the comics, you know, set during World War II because the people who watch the show will won't want to come and read the comic. And right. I don't know how well that holds up, but <laughs> well, also during that time. Wonder Woman had uh, a feature in World's Finest Comics from issues uh, 244 to 250. So we have this, I'm going to say tentatively, we have it tentatively on our schedule to cover it. Here's the problem, though. It, It comes down to, one, it's a matter of a huge investment of time for Michael and I both to read all that material to try to cover it, hopefully in one episode, because we'd really want to just kind of tackle it and get through it and, and move on to other things. But also it's a matter of, uh, of enthusiasm, to be honest with you. Neither one of us, I think are really all that enthused about the idea because I, I've never read it. I, in all fairness, I've never read that. I think I read t- number 228, which is the beginning of that storyline. And it had, I remember it has the red pansy in it. And beyond that, um, <laughs> Did I, you I just say the red. Pansy? Yeah, I know his name's the red pans, or I like to call him the red pansy. Cause I'm five years old, but you know, seriously, I mean, it, it just, it was okay, but it didn't light my world on fire. I have a feeling that the entire thing is going to kind of be that way, but you know, you and I talked and I, I see pros and cons both ways. For one, my biggest con or, or rather the biggest pro, I guess you would say for, for wanting to cover it is I don't want to come off like a hypocrite. You know, because I'm the one that that wrote you the letter when we were first getting to know each other. I wrote a letter to uh, from Crisis to Crisis saying, all right, look, you know, if you're going to cover this era, cover it all. You know, don't leave you know any stone unturned kind of thing. So I don't want to seem like a big hypocrite jerk by there being these, you know, Earth 2 stories that we don't cover on this show. But again, it does come down to a matter of of enthusiasm and, and all of that. And this would be one heck of an investment of time to read through. I have a feeling slog through all these comics. So I, I want to hear what you think, Mike, but also, you know, I think you and I were agreed that we really want to hear what the listeners think. What do you guys want? I mean, if you guys, you know, if the majority of feedback is that you guys really, really, really want us to do this stuff, if you really want to hear our take and you, you really are that enthused about, you know, us covering it, then we'll do it. But if, you know, if it goes the other way where the majority is like, yeah, I could give a shit, then we're going to probably move on through and just kind (laughs) of see if we can find some online synopsis or or give you the key points or some shit, you know. But what do you think, Mike? I really want to get to the All-Star Squadron. I really do. (laughs) I pulled the books this weekend and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking, you know, the All-Star Comics run was great and the Adventure Comics was great because we were really focused right. on following a series through. And it's easier to maintain momentum that way. Mm-hmm. It's the same thing over it from Crisis to Crisis is that, you know, because we're, Jeffrey and I are 
covering a very specific run, we're watching a story unfold. And in doing these little side trips, which I really don't mind, especially tonight, because, wow, the second story we're going to be talking about was fucking awesome. Um, it just, it, it kind of makes me feel like we're, like we're floating kind of wildly in the water. Like we don't have a focus. Right. And this show had a very strong focus, you know, unlike back to the bins, which is just random, but that's how that show is set up. Right. You know, it's supposed to be random. That's the point. So for this though, it's just like, okay, yeah, the Power Girl thing, you know, we kind of need to cover because that's the origin of Power Girl. Like, we cover the origin of the Huntress in her own episode. And the Huntress stories are really good, and they fo- kind of follow, they kind of feel like an extension of the All-Star comic stuff that we had covered. Plus, she's smoking hot. Yeah, I was leaving through the trade tonight. God, Joe Staten almost had her naked, like, every third page. Uh, you say that like it's a bad thing. No, it's just surprising, because it was, you know ostensibly a kid's comic that was treated like uh like any second the like sleazy you know smooth jazz music was gonna come up and it was gonna it's like is is this cinemax at two o'clock in the morning (laughs) is that what i'm looking at i mean it would have been awesome but still it was my cinemax back in the day let me tell you (laughs) but um so covering some of the stuff you know it's fun but it just feels like to me that we're going to lose a little bit of the of the forward momentum that we have been building up. But you know, if people want to hear it, then you know I will concede because right, that's just the type of guy I am. But I, I think this is our one speed bump, honestly, because I'm looking yeah. at the at the tentative schedule that we've made. And I don't want to reveal too much because I, I want there to be nice surprises coming along. But I think with th- this one exception of this Wonder Woman World War II material, I think everything else is stuff that you and I are pretty enthused about. I'm I'm really yeah. looking forward to some of these. I mean, there's there's one of them on here that's I would say is one of my favorite books of all time, and, and, you know, as a, as a one shot. So I'm really looking forward to all that stuff. It's just this one particular thing is just kind of like the speed bump right in the middle. And like you say, I'm, I'm concerned about the momentum of the show and, and, and the focus, as you say. So, yeah, I, I totally want to put that out to the listeners. Please give us your feedback and, and your thoughts on that and, uh, and how you would uh, like us to deal with that particular uh, dilemma, let's say. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. It's a dilemma. <laughs> Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. <laughs> You're my only hope. <laughs> oh, man. But that uh, that kind of brings us to what we came here to discuss tonight. It's the last two, uh, uh, currently, I guess I should say, of the Justice League, Justice Society crossovers. There's actually four more after this that we will be covering. One during All-Star Squadron, because it actually crosses over with All-Star Squadron, mm-hmm. which was very, very rare in, you know, the early 80s when those books were coming out. I mean, that's that's actually, like, surprising that it happened. And there there's two more two-issue ones before the Crisis on Infinite Earths, and then the quote-unquote final one 
happens between Infinity Inc. and Justice League of America. So we'll be covering all of those, but just to kind of get us up to up to speed, we are going to be covering the two JLA JSA crossovers. The first one in Justice League of America, Volume 1, number 183 to 185. And in the second one is Justice League of America, Volume 1, 195 to 197. And I think I speak for Scott on this, is that after we get through this first issue, 183, the artwork just takes freaking off. Oh, yes. Oh, man, it's so awesome. But... Because Scott did all of the uh, synopsizing last week, I have taken on all the synopsizing this week. It was my idea, and Scott didn't beat me up and put me into a locker to convince me to at all. I promise. Bastard. <laughs> Anyways, this <laughs> I'm just going to call this story Crisis on New Genesis, or Crisis of the New Gods, uh, just for sake of expediency. This first issue... Uh, the roll call is from the Justice League, Batman, Firestorm, Green Lantern, Superman. And from the Justice Society, Dr. Fate, The Huntress, Power Girl, and Wonder Woman. And from the New Gods, Big Barda, Metron, Mr. Miracle, Oberon, and it's kind of funny hearing him refer to this, but I guess that's what he was really called in the beginning, Orion the Hunter. Uh, because nowadays it's just usually, well, now he's Orion the Dead, but before that he was just like Orion the Douchebag. So <laughs> Now, both of these stories are written by Jerry Conway. The first issue of this, uh, of this Justice League, uh, of 183, is the last issue of Justice League of America drawn by Dick Dillon before he unfortunately and untimely passed away. And we have been dogging on Dick Dillon's art, and that's really probably not going to change in this uh, in this issue. But I don't want to see anybody pass away, especially in the middle of something when you know it was obviously something they liked doing. But getting into the getting into the story proper, the Justice League and Justice Society both enter their respective trans matter cubes and find themselves not visiting each other, but standing before New Genesis instead. There is a whole lot of what the fuck until Superman explains where they are and even adds this is one of the few places that he has ever felt truly comfortable. Wonder Woman gets her lasso in a knot over Superman calling the beings new gods because she's met the gods and those are the only gods she's going to worship. But before Superman can explain exactly what the new gods are, they realize that Firestorm has gone missing. Turns out Ronnie got bored with all of the talking. And despite the objections of Martin Stein, he goes exploring. He runs afoul of a riot and calls for help, but gets hit with some weird energy and plummets to the ground. The Justice folk rally to help Firestorm and Pigpile, there you go, Chris, onto uh, a riot. That, that's the first time I ever heard the word, the term Pigpile, by the way, was Chris Honeywell. So, Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> but they Pigpile onto Orion and manage to knock him out. Have you never After, seen uh, Toy Story? Uh, I have. I just don't remember that term being in there. So there you go. Yeah, the part the part in the in the moving van near the very end of the movie where uh, where Woody breaks into the okay. van and he and he steals RC, you know, the RC car to go back and get Buzz. Yeah. There's a part where all the toys tackle Woody and uh, and Ham, the the piggy bank. 
yeah. jumps on Woody and says, Pig Pile! So, <laughs> there you go. After some post-fight chit-chat, Metron, the all-seeing, all-knowing, non-new god, Mr. Miracle, Big Barda, and Oberon arrive, with Metron saying that he was one that brought the League and the society there. Metron heals Firestorm before imploring Orion to use the Mother Box to recover his rationality. Orion uses the mother box to make himself look all dreamy as Barda explains that Darkseid has kidnapped the entire populace of New Genesis and has turned them into mindless slaves. The Huntress wonders why the League and society are involved and Metron explains that Darkseid, for some fucking reason, has employed the Injustice Society of Earth 2. The heroes head to Apocalypse and split into teams. Huntress, Batman, and Mr. Miracle act as scouts. Orion, Power Girl, and Firestorm check out a construction site to the north. Wonder Woman, Big Barda, and Superman head to Granny Goodness's orphanage. Green Lantern, Oberon, and Dr. Fate make their way to the Shock Troopers barracks. Huntress acts mir- acts. <laughs> Huntress asks Miracle what happened because the war between the, new, uh, the Apocalypse and New Genesis was supposed to be over. Miracle admits to being confused as well and explains they came home after an exploratory mission and found the place deserted. After a quick fight, Miracle explains that Darkseid was trying to pierce the forbidden final barrier to unknown knowledge when Oberon hit him with some Astro Force, which repelled him from the barrier and sent him falling towards Apocalypse, turning into a giant as he did. Mistaking this for an attack from New Genesis, Apocalypse fires on Darkseid and destroyed him. Wow, that, that there's loyalty. I don't. I don't think they 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 really mistook him for an attack from New Genesis. I think they were looking for an excuse. But that's that's just my opinion. Meanwhile, Doctor Fate and Green Lantern pull a Star Wars and disguise themselves as shock troopers with Oberon as their Chewbacca. They bust. <laughs> Figured you'd like that. They bust in and cause a whole lot of damage before Green Lantern finds what they had been looking for, which will have to wait until next issue. Elsewhere, Superman, Wonder Woman, and Barda break into Granny's orphanage. Still elsewhere, Firestorm, Power Girl, and Orion reach their destination just in time to see the Icicle, the Shade, and the Fiddler activating a a machine that seems to summon forth Darkseid. So then we head into part two, which sees George Perez making his first appearance as penciler of Justice League of America. And he'd stay there for years, if memory serves. Am I right about that? He He was was on this book for a while. He was there for a while, but it, it wasn't as long as I think some people think that it actually was. Because I want to say by 200... He he was spotty or maybe even gone by then. But he did a lot of covers, which is why I think a lot of people think he stayed mm-hmm. longer than he actually did. Couple Orion, oh, yeah. Orion, Firestorm, and Power Girl attack and do a pretty good job of taking down the Injustice Society until the Fiddler of all people takes them down and then continues his tune of summoning Darkseid. I read that, I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? No, come on. No, I was waiting for that. Now, I like the Fiddler. He's a good, old-fashioned, just plain, goofy-ass villain, and I love him. I think he's... I understand that, and I feel the same way. Can he really take down Firestorm, Orion, and Power Girl? 
Come on. Come on. It's the power of music, man. He's probably playing some John Williams <laughs> shit on that thing. And that, that'd take anybody out. My money's <laughs> on the fiddler in this situation. Well, you'd win, so there you go. Back with Superman, Wonder Woman, and Big Barda, the heroes manage to get deeper into the orphanage, and after convincing the kids that they mean them no harm, and even teach them about love. What? what? (laughs) Not that kind of love. Oh, okay. Damn, I must have missed that part. Oh, man. There's so much wrong there that I don't even want to get into it. I Anyways. love the kid in the diapers pointing the gun at Wonder Woman. That <laughs> that's got to be one of the best comic book moments right there. Uh a multicog who is a cog, you know, like a seer cognitive or whatever. I forget how they explain it in the book. Begins to tell them how the Injustice Society came to apocalypse. Apparently, after committing a fa- fairly standard theft, the Fiddler and Icicle started fighting amongst themselves, with the Shade standing back going, I'm not getting in between these fuckers, until the stone form of Darkseid bursts from the ground and demands allegiance. After a quick attempt to fight back, they swear that allegiance and ask Darkseid what he wants them to do. Darkseid tells them and then disappears. The multicog passes out, and Wonder Woman convinces Crimson one of the girls that is turning a new leaf to lead them to Granny Goodness to find out what Darkseid's agenda is. Back with Fate, Green Lantern, and Oberon, we find out that the startling sight that Green Lantern saw last issue was actually Highfather. GL tries to get him free, but can't. Dr. Fate, though, has better luck, and Highfather tells them that they must make haste to stop Darkseid. Meanwhile, Batrock... (laughs) Meanwhile, Batrock the Leaper. That would be awesome. (laughs) Meanwhile, Batman and Huntress break into the Imperial Palace to join Mr. Miracle, who had discovered Darkseid's plan. He is going to build a recreation machine that will not only return him to life, but also could be used to transport Apocalypse to Earth 2 where there are no new or old gods, and when he enters the Earth-2 universe, Earth-2 itself will be destroyed. Which brings us to 185 with Part 3, where Metron uses Mobius' chair to recap what has happened over the past few issues, and quickly wusses out of doing anything after realizing that anything he does might interfere with the larger plans, which just proves what a fucking whiner Metron really is. At that moment, Batman, Huntress, and Mr. Miracle witness the return of Darkseid, who seems to have made some wonderful progress in learning how to have happy feelings, and then dashing any hopes that his anger management classes have been working. He thanks the Justice Society for their help, and Icicle, Icicle, super suck-up, shows him the frozen forms of Power Girl, Oberon, and Firestorm. Darkseid transports Shade, Icicle, and Fiddler to a prison cell for their troubles. After insulting his son some more, he has, frozen, he has the frozen heroes taken to the same cell and then watches a little TV in preparation for the glory that is to come. Meanwhile, Highfather catches Green Lantern, Fate, and Oberon making out. Wait, no, that's not what happened. Whoa, what? Meanwhile, <laughs> meanwhile Highfather catches Green Lantern, Fate, and Oberon up on what's going on, on what's what, before a squad of parademons attack. Green Lantern and Fate hold their own, but Highfather is injured when he stands up to the evil minions of Darkseid. 
Elsewhere, Superman, Wonder Woman, Big Barda, and Crimson make their way into Granny Goodness's orphanage, and it is Crimson that shows her bloodlust by attacking some guards. Superman keeps her from killing them and delivers a speech on how you can't fight evil by becoming evil just before blah, blah, blah. And then he kicks open a door and essentially sees the world's most bizarre production of the musical Oliver ever. (laughs) The fight is on and Wonder Woman smacks Granny Goodness around a bit before Goodness escapes and runs smack dab into Big Barda. In their cells, Firestorm and crew decide to escape. Batman, Mr. Miracle, and Huntress free the villains and make them an offer they can't refuse. As Green Lantern, Fate, and Oberon fight on, Orion, Firestorm, and Power Girl attack Darkseid. And Firestorm even manages to turn Darkseid's Omega Beams back onto the Dark God. Darkseid admits that this is the end, but he presses a button he tells them that is not an end they, they would hope for. Darkseid activates the recreation machine, but it turns out that Metron reprogrammed it to strike Darkseid, and the day is saved, though there is much rebuilding to do. The end. Ugh. <laughs> lot going on in this. In these three Excellent issues. recap, sir. Excellent <laughs> recap. You are to be commended. <laughs> okay. Where to start? Well, uh, page we start. four, where it looks like Power Girl and Superman are about to start making out. All right, which oh, which issue? issue? In, in one eighty three. One eighty three. All right, let me final go. panel. Let me go to one eighty. One eighty three, page four. <sighs> Work, stupid computer. Oh, there we go. All right, page four. Oh yeah, it totally does. Well, we—it's already been established that they've got the yeah. hots for each other, and I, I would like to think that maybe they even did the deed in that last team up. That—that's just my—that's just my, that's just my uh, perverse. Well, the uh, the thing is, is that it's actually an interesting conversation that they have because you know this is where Superman, I think, for the first time since all of that happened, actually talks about his experiences with the new gods. And, you know, he says, Power Girl, Kara, perhaps you'd understand. On Earth One, I'm a misfit of sorts, despite the League and the other heroes in the world, just as you are on Earth Two. But here, she asks, here, among the new gods, being whose powers and abilities were the equal of my own, I was no longer alone. It was better than being among Kryptonians in Kandor, because I retained my powers. And Power Girl goes while being with others as powerful as yourself. I do understand, Superman. What I don't understand is, why did you leave? You know that answer uh, to that as well as I do. Even if we did grow up on different Earths and were born on different Kryptons, we can never escape the responsibilities of our power to ourselves. Now, this is actually, even though it's in the post-crisis world, this, this story is referenced in Action Comics number 650, which was drawn by George Perez, oddly enough. When it talks about, because in that, in the From Crisis to Crisis era, Superman wasn't part of the Justice League. But they decided to explain away how he was with, like, the Justice League on their JSA crossovers. And they talk about this. And what they did, which I thought was interesting, was at the time this story takes place, Superman didn't know he was from Krypton. So the emotional weight there was that that Superman didn't, know if maybe I'm from New Genesis. So I, I always thought that was kind of cool. I don't know if you remember that issue. Yeah, I do. Um, 
I get what you're going for, and and I agree with you that it works. I think it works a lot better post crisis in in yes. that context. But here, I'm going to have to say eh, to this whole thing <laughs> because the part of this speech that really bugs the hell out of me is where he says to Power Girl, "On Earth One, I'm a misfit of sorts." I have never liked Superman being portrayed, whether it was old comics or Superman Returns the movie. I don't like him being portrayed as some sort of freak that can't fit in and and feels like he stands apart from the humanity around him. One of the things I think that makes Superman great is that he is so human, you know, that that he's essentially he's just, you know, he's he's a, a superhuman. Yeah. You know, and and I really don't like this idea that that he feels like he he doesn't belong or that he's out of place or anything. I mean, it, it's one thing to portray him where he's the last of his people, and maybe that gives him a certain uh, dynamic and a certain melancholy at times or something like that. But at the same rate that that he actually feels like he's a misfit, I, I that that part of the story really jumped out at me. That that word in particular, because when I think of misfit. I think I like the Island of Misfit Toys where there was something like <laughs> defective with all of them, you know? I don't want to make toys. I want to be a dentist. <laughs> I don't see Superman as like there's something wrong with him. You know, he's just, he's got superpowers, you know? I I don't know. I, I didn't really care for that, for that angle of, of this particular one. But uh, I kind of wanted to start... Um, at the beginning, oddly enough, <laughs> I was just curious what you thought of the uh, the Jim Starlin cover on this particular issue. Um, you know, here's the thing about the New Gods. I like the New Gods as a concept, and growing up as I did with you know the Superpowers toys, where Darkseid was the big bad, right? You know, I, I've always had a certain appreciation for it. But the thing is, is I think. That costume of Orion sucks ass. <laughs> and even though it's Jim Starlin, which is awesome, usually, because I, th- I think Green Lantern looks really funky uh, on that cover. I just really can't get past Orion's outfit, so it's kind of hard. Yeah. To, to, to uh, you know, to say, now, here's a question. Here's my question. Why are they both entering the transmatter cube when usually it's one team going to travel to another team's headquarters? Hmm. Why in the hell are they both doing it at the same time? That doesn't make any goddamn sense. They should form one big superhero at that point. (laughs) Form Blazing Sword. (laughs) You know, you got me on that. I don't know why they're doing that because you would think that that would cause all kinds of problems. but. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I do not know. I do like this opening splash page, though. Um, yes. As much as we have established the fact that neither one of us are all that crazy about <laughs> Dick Dillon's art, I do yeah. like the splash. It, it looks really, especially the uh, the middle panel of the Justice Society, I'm going to go so far as to say I think that that is very Joe Staten-esque. I really yeah, I'd agree with that. There, I'd agree a, with that. There's a little wonky in there, but but not too much. It it actually looks pretty good, and uh, again, um, now Superman throughout this issue 
I think looks like he's suffering some weird red kryptonite effects <laughs> because like on page four, the first panel, he's like baby face Superman. And then in the next one, I don't know what the hell that expression is that's on his face. It's like a like kind of expression. I don't know what he's doing there. And then the the what is this page? Page five where he's got his hand around uh, Power Girl. He's got kind of a weird. He looks like um, Bruce Campbell in that. <laughs> he does actually. So as wonky as he and some of the other characters are, though, but then you look at just about every panel that that Dylan did of Batman, and Batman looks oh, yeah. pretty awesome on just about every single. I think his Huntress looks really good too. Well, that two-page splash he did right there at the beginning where they're looking up at at New Genesis. I mean, just about every person on that page looks good. Power Girl. I think that's the best he ever drew the character. Mm -hmm. Now, on page five, Wonder Woman looks like she really has to pee. Um, (laughs) When she's pointing up. and Boy, she, she just gets really bent out of shape. You know, the only gods I acknowledge are the gods of Mount Olympus, and he who is the only true god whose nature remains unknown. Wow. Yeah, I don't know about <laughs> Everyone's that. Everyone's suddenly really uncomfortable, and Dr. Fate gives her the finger when no one else is looking. But see, even that, that two-page splash you're talking about, I do think it's really cool. And maybe it's just a, a product of comics from this era, but the perspectives all look really weird. Yeah, it it, it, uh, it kind of adds to it, though, a little bit when you think about it, because, you know, they're all disoriented, so it makes yeah, sense that's that true. Art might be a little disorienting. But maybe I'm looking too much into it. No, no, I think that's a good point. But I'll tell you one thing that always drove me crazy about old comics, whether it was Marvel or DC was when they would go into the cosmic adventures and they would look up into some like like they'd be on a planet and look up in the sky or they'd be out in the orbit of some alien planet and it was just chock full of like moons and planets and I'm th- just thinking <laughs> it doesn't work that way dude all the gravitational forces of all these giant celestial bodies would like rip this solar system <laughs> apart you know it couldn't actually <laughs> exist but I still get it. Well, the it. comic book artists love that. Love oh, just, just to make it look as fucked up as humanly possible. <laughs> and, I, and I guess that's okay. Um, page six, or is that eight? It's kind of weird. Yeah, page six. Uh, is it me, or does that shot of Orion down there at the bottom of the page look like he's about halfway uh, mid transformation into the teenage werewolf? <laughs> He reminds me of uh, Timberwolf from the yes. Legion of Superheroes, actually. I think he looks a lot like him in that particular uh, thing. Let's see. What else have I got here? Oh, I uh, I had to chuckle when you were talking about uh, them shooting the Astro Force or whatever. Because every time I hear Astro, Tur- Astro Force, my mind hears Astro Turf, and I just have to laugh. I don't know why that is, but... <laughs> Well, the the concept of the Astro Force is one of those things where people point to Star Wars and George Lucas and say, Hey, George, did you ever read any of the New Gods? Because there's some similarities here that are, uh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) 
I don't know. I think that it's, might it's be a... tangential, but you know, you look at Darth Vader, and that's Doctor Doom and Dark Side in one. Oh yeah, so, yeah. So and you know, Orion is not Luke Skywalker in any sense of the character at all. But it's just the fact that he wields the Astro Force and all that. Just some people are like, huh. But you know, and, and this was and this was pretty much why. See, I've never read any of the original New God stuff, so I really can't form a good opinion on what Jack Kirby did with the New Gods. But it seems to me that anybody, even Jerry Conway, who handled the return of the New Gods uh, a couple years before this story, which I guess made him like the why he probably brought them back is because he wanted to play with them again, is that no one seems to know what to do with them. In the comic book world, you know, Dark, either they want to try to redo what Jack did or they just want to make Darkseid the thing Superman beats up. Right. And I don't know if either one is, is, is particularly fair to the characters. Because it, it seemed to me that the new gods were Jack just throwing shit against the wall and seeing what comes right. out. And... When you try to make sense of something like that on a creative level, it kind of ruins it almost. Right. I think – oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, I was done. I think for me personally, it comes down to a matter of – I think that there's times in – well, in any media really, but especially in comics where sometimes you just got to let shit go. You know what I yeah. mean? And, and let it stand as the work that it is and and not – feel a need to to go back or try to add something or try to, you know, tinker with. That's that's one of the reasons I'm so glad that so far anyway, Starman, you know, exists on its own as the work that it was and and no yeah. one's felt the need to go back and and try to, you know, add to the story or or whatever. I really like that. I kind of wish they would do that with Jack Kirby's Fourth World stuff because you know, it, I think it stands on its own as as the work that it is. I think it's very, very much a, a product of its time. And then, you know, I'll have to admit that a lot of it also is my personal prejudice. I'm just never all, been all that crazy about that stuff. So every time that stuff comes back, I have a healthy degree of, oh, God, you know. I like some of the things that have been done with it. I thought that that dark side and most of the fourth world stuff was used to great effect on, say, like Batman or excuse me, uh, Superman, the animated series. But comic book wise, I don't know about that. I mean, beyond like the great darkness saga in Legion yeah. of Superheroes. I mean, what really what what legends? Yeah. But I, I liked you Legends. I, I, I no, really I loved, liked Legends. No, I loved Legends. Don't get me wrong. No, I absolutely loved that story. But I think you could have told that story without Darkseid in it. I think that you could have, you could have totally done the same see, story with something else. See, reading that in 1986, when I still had my Darkseid superpowers figure, it's kind of hard to separate that. I can't. I can't do. I, I know it. I know I should be able to. I know I'm an adult. And that as, you know, as a rational person, I should be able to separate certain things, but that I just can't. It's just when I could sit there and play Legends with my action figures, that was mm -hmm. awesome. Because I was still like 10 at the time, so. 
it's not like now when I play with my action figures and my wife tells me to sh- knock that shit off and come to bed. So, <laughs> <clears throat> what I will say about Jerry Conway as a writer of the JLA JSA crossovers is I think he has the best sense of teaming people up and making that kind of interesting. Because the groups that he puts together here are kind of cool. Wonder Woman, Superman, and Big Barda. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't know. I guess it's this one where he kind of started the little flirtation between Firestorm and Power Girl. Right. Um, even though with our theory, Power Girl is probably hollowed out like a Thanksgiving turkey. Yeah. Right? <laughs> That was wrong, dude. Once you go Earth One Kryptonian, you don't go back. Because <laughs> you can't. <laughs> yes, you can't. But um, I don't know. I, I just I loved seeing Mister Miracle, the Huntress, and Batman teamed up on art on, on an artistic level. Just all the flowing capes. It's freaking oh, yeah. awesome. Just, just, just neat. And and Green Lantern and Doctor Fate. I don't know why that pairing works, but it does. Mm-hmm. And it works well. My only question is this. I know Oberon's a cool character. What the fuck is he doing, like, in battle? <laughs> <laughs> of course, you know, like you said, the only time I've ever really liked the new gods were when Bruce Timm and company had a control of them. Right. And all the stuff they did. on You know, I, I used to complain about it, but now I really like it, all the new gods stuff that happened in Superman, because... You know, this may make me sound like a bit of a hypocrite, but yeah, Superman versus Darkseid is kind of awesome to see. It's just it shouldn't be like the end all be all of every comic book with them in it. <laughs> I guess there's no other reason to have the two together, though. Though again, this comes from a bias of seeing that Action Comics issue where he and Darkseid fought after mm-hmm. Darkseid made him believe he was his son. Right? Yeah, oh, that was awesome. That was awesome. <laughs> Really, the the last note I have on on this issue specifically was uh, I really liked on uh, on page twenty two. There was the uh, the scene where is it here? Okay, the the guards are walking out this little girl, and it says, uh, "And those whose spirits." Well, let me start at the very beginning. It says, "Here to this day, the children of apocalypse are taught the perverted morality of dark sized dominion." says, here every last shred of free spirit is crushed in youthful souls. And those whose spirits cannot be crushed find themselves punished. I'm thinking, that sounds a lot like the high school I went to, actually. <laughs> but also, the uh, the guards are walking out this little girl, and they're saying to her, you were warned not to grow flowers on the drilling field. And the other one says, it's time for the punishment m- machine for you, defective. And I got to thinking... It was kind of tickling in the back of my brain. I was like, I, I remember a story kind of like this a while back, and it finally hit me what it was. It was not long before this issue came out. There was an issue of um, of uh, Marvel's Star Wars. It was number 30 where, where Princess Leia snuck onto this uh, planet that had been enslaved by the Empire. And there was a little girl she meets in that story that had done the same thing. She was trying to plant seeds from like some meal that she had eaten. There was some fruit that there were seeds left over or something like that. And she was trying to plant them and a stormtrooper comes along and like 
gives her shit because, you know, the planet's supposed to be this, like, smoking ruin. You're not supposed to plant stuff and make flowers and or something like that. And so it just struck me that as funny that those two elements are so similar in, in these in these issues. Um, but really, the, the only other thing I had on this was... Uh, you know, it's it's very sad about uh, about Dick Dillon. Yes, it you is. know that uh, that he died. You know, I, I remember seeing a very, I thought, really nasty, a very callous thing, quite a long time ago, on uh, on a certain message board where somebody had said something about you know the best thing Dick Dillon ever did was die, so George Perez could come to justice. And I was like, man, that's harsh. You know, that's really cold, because you know. He's not my favorite, but you know there were there were elements that I, I came to appreciate in his artwork and everything. I really do like his Batman stuff, um, but I think ultimately these three issues really exemplify what's cool about comics, in my opinion, because you can take a story and like this particular issue. I don't know if you'll agree with me, but I think this particular issue feels like, nah. It's okay. But then you go to like the next issue and yeah. it feels like, wow, this is odd. This is a great story. And what's different? Really, nothing's really different except you've yeah. got George Perez drawing it. And it's just, it, it ramps it up somehow. So you've got what is honestly a kind of so-so story that feels a lot more so-so in the first issue because the art's not that great. And then you take the very next issue and it feels just completely different. And it's because of, of the way it looks. I like that about comics because I, I do look at it as a 50-50 proposition. Is that, you know, a lot of times if you've got, you know, mediocre art, but the story's really good, a lot of times it can kind of bolster it up to where you can really enjoy it you know, despite maybe the art not being that good. And I think sometimes that, that works the other way, you know, just as well that you, if you've got really extraordinary art, then if the story might be a little wonky or a little subpar or whatever, then the art shores it up. That, that to me is the beauty of comic books right there. That's what I love about comics. Indeed. No, I'll agree with you completely. And that is the sad part is it's not something I wanted to feel, but that second issue, I mean, you know, looking at it right now and jumping to page, what page number is that? Page 10, which is a full page splash showing the orphanage and how, and it's, and just this, this messed up world of apocalypse. And you see how water goes from one area to another and, you know, the the artwork in this isn't what I think people would eventually think of as Perez. As, you know, it's there, all the seeds are there, but it's not as clean and crisp as his New Teen Titans work would become. Right, right. Or even his later Justice Leagues would become. And that might have to do with the inker, but I'd have to see who inked those later Justice Leagues. But all the seeds are there. It's like on the... On page 12, you have, like, this kind of quiet scene of all the kids, like, making dinner, and there's Superman just hanging out with a kid on his shoulders. I love that picture, by the way. Yeah. I mean, I mean, just the decisions that Perez makes artistically 
with the most minute of details just staggers me that he has that kind of instinct for how a character who's not even having anything to do with what's going on should be standing. Right. And, you know, he knows where to go wide. He knows where to keep it small. It's like when they find High Father on page 19, that's a big one-page splash. And it looks really awesome. And I got to tell you, Perez does capes better than anybody in comics. Mm-hmm. And that shot on page 22 of Huntress and Batman climbing the wall yes. is freaking amazing. Mm-hmm. Actually, Perez's Batman is freaking amazing in general. Yeah. But just how that cape is sweeping and swooping, and he makes the Huntress's cape longer and Mr. Miracle's cape longer. I mean, it's just, oh, man. I just absolutely... The art in, in, in the next two issues is just amazing. Not as good as the second story we're going to talk about, but it's really damn good in and of itself. I mean, the the big thing is he hit the ground running. I yes. Mean, you know, he, he came in and just right away completely blows you away because if you were used to the way the Justice League looked before where – I, and in my opinion, I think it just looked very static. And then you come in here and it's all, you know, everybody's always fluid. They're always in motion. You know, he, he never forgets any of the characters that are on the page. Everybody's always doing something, even if it's just a a look that they're giving or, or the way that they're standing or something. It, it just, it has a more dynamic and a more... I don't want to say realistic necessarily, but a uh, it, it's more like a, a, a snapshot, you know, of of yeah. real people in action doing things, and and that's really what I what I appreciate about his art. I mean, I appreciate that with any artist that that's able to capture that that sense of you know this is a moment in time rather than you know let me just draw a background and then just put a bunch of color forms on it, you know, which is the analogy that was, you know, that we made last time. But I, I think it was a very apt analogy for the way that Justice League had kind of looked, at least to me, prior to this. And, uh, yeah, I, I really like this issue because it, it, it's, it's just flat-out action. And like you say, even in the quiet moments when they're not really doing much of anything, even in that part where it's just Wonder Woman and Superman standing around, it still looks like action. Mm-hmm. That's amazing, you know that you that you know that he's that talented to be able to do that. I'm trying to think of, uh, let me see what notes did I have for this particular one? Well, I had the same note about uh, about page ten, just. Uh, I liked it because it's nightmarish. Yes. You know, I've had, I've had nightmares of places like this, you know, where it's, you know, it's like these vast and very steep, narrow stairs with no handrails. And, you know, if you, if you were to walk off, you know, look at this picture. If you were to walk off one of those steps, it looks like you would just fall into eternity or something. It's yes. You know, it's all just weird platforms. It's just awesome to look at. Yeah, it is. And these, yeah, these kids live there, you know, and they're they're leaning over the side and 
Ah, oh, it makes my palms sweat looking at this picture, thinking about little kids walking off these platforms or something. It's just freaky looking. Just, just amazing. Just, you know, I feel kind of bad because, you know, it's like the funny should be that we're making fun of stuff, but I really don't have anything here to make fun of. No, no I don't. <laughs> um, I love the cover on this one. And also I was wondering... I wonder how many times now with Dark Side Stories, Apocalypse Now has been the title of, of a Dark Side story. I, I know I've Yeah, that's that's gonna probably be kind of common, I would think. I really get yeah. that cover though. That's very cool. And uh all right, this character of Crimson that we see in here, does she kind of look like uh like a proto Starfire? to you little bit you know i was thinking actually of the fact that he had a character that he would create years later named crimson no oh, it was right. a completely different looking character but still it's kind of kind of interesting that you know you have the character here and then later on so mm-hmm. but maybe that's just me <laughs> <laughs> my my last note for this really or last thought really because it kind of occurred to me while you were uh doing your synopsis, you know, there was the comment about, you know, Darkseid's whole plan is to move Apocalypse to Earth 2 because there are no old or new gods there. And I'm thinking, is it just me or does it seem like Earth 2 is always kind of getting the short shrift when it comes to yeah. stuff like this? <laughs> A little bit. You know, because there's no old that. gods, there's no new gods, there's no Oa, there's no Guardians. I, and there's several other things like that that don't have any sort of parallel in Earth 2. And it, it, it makes me feel like if Earth 2 had stuck around longer, and I hope that's not too much of a, uh, a spoiler, but, you know, if it, if it had lasted longer, I, I wish that something very cool, you know, like like mega cool and totally unique had, had come along for Earth 2. You know what I mean? To, to establish Earth 2 as just as... Uh, as cool in its own way and just as viable as in its own way as the, as the primary dimension, you know, the earth one dimension, you know, you know what I'm going for? Oh, I know exactly what you're going for. I agree completely. I think yeah, they, you know, they got the, they got the, well, you know, earth one was the main product DC was pushing. So. Yeah. Yeah. But it, 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 it puts earth two in that, I was going to say in that number two, so that's a stupid thing to say, but you know what I mean? I mean, it, Yes. It relegates it to like a like a junior status almost, and that that's a shame. I I, I think that it, I think it deserved better than that, if you know what I mean. Because in, in I some ways, I like I like some of the characters there better than than I like the Earth One, the Earth One versions or the Earth One interpretations. So, yeah, I I think it would have been nice to see something unique, you know, as far as a a, a big concept or a big threat or something like that that was you know earth 2 was its its native dimension but that's about all i've got for uh, for this issue for what i don't you- really i don't really have a whole lot for the third part of this mm-hmm. um outside of the fact that i kind of like the fact that for the entire issue after their thought out power girl seems to have wet hair well, I actually had down here that uh, she's soaking wet in a white leotard. Um, yeah. 
Do you need a minute, dude? <laughs> oh, I do need a minute. But no, I mean, uh, I, I wish that that had been drawn just a tad more realistically, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, I, I did notice that with uh, with her hair and everything, how she was kind of wringing her hair out. And then it was all kind of just the way it was hanging on her head. And I, again, you know, very, very realistic. But it's almost like it's almost like uh, Conway threw Firestorm and her together as kind of a p- possible like romance, just to to kind of keep off the creepy feeling of the Superman's Power Girl thing. I wonder if they the- got letters or something. Yeah, it's like, dude, that's not cool. <laughs> I don't know. I should I should have looked at that actually. I should have looked to see if any of the letters pages said anything about that. Well, I want to know, how is Firestorm's head staying lit when they're frozen in that block of ice? Because he's the nuclear man. Well, wouldn't that just melt the ice then? I got nothing. Uh, I've got really, no, seriously, I've got nothing. So <laughs> I spotted something while I was reading this issue that, uh, I don't know, man. I was just like, wow. I, I, it never really occurred to me as a kid, but now it totally hit me. Page 12, first panel. Honestly, can you imagine many things scarier than seeing a giant freaking lawnmower coming at you? I think that would be absolutely terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> that would be kind of scary. A little more scary than, you know, what we're almost seeing Little High Father a couple panels down <laughs> in that total Jack Kirby pose. Yes. Hear me, X-Men. Come together. <laughs> he looks like Moses' part in the Red Seas is what he looks like. Oh, little eye, Father. <laughs> I don't need to see that. Thank you very much. Let's see. Page 15. Oh, yeah. Page 15, last panel. I love this, where Superman's ripping the door out. That's just yeah. a great... Great pose right there. Really uh, really dynamic. I like that. I like to see Superman ripping shit up. That never gets old. And the footnote on page... Oh, yeah. The footnote on page 19 uh, where uh, Firestorm talks about uh, his and Superman's fight with uh, Killer Frost in DC Comics Presents 17. Great issue. Great, great issue. Mm-hmm. I really like yes. that. That was always one of my favorite uh, issues of that entire series, honestly. And um, I was trying to figure out in uh, – now, I'm not talking like comic book chronology. I'm talking like publishing history. I'm trying to figure out when was Darkseid's next appearance because you know, he's resurrected basically in this story – but this is one of those stories where you know they they bring a character back, but then they put him back where they found him at the end of it because he's taken right back out again at the end of this. And I'm thinking it may have been the Great Darkness Saga, wasn't it? Yeah, but that takes place in like the far future, so right. But that's that's what I mean, though. Is in publishing history, though, was would that be the next? I guess so. Yeah, that makes sense. I'm I'm thinking it was. Which was just a, a fantastic story. I really like. I've that. never read it, so. Oh, dude! I have it all now. You're doing yourself so. a disservice. You got to read it. 
got to read it. Now, what did you think of the cover on this one? We didn't talk about the cover on this one, but uh, it looks to me like Darkseid is. He looks like Mock from um, what is that movie called? Rock and Roll, almost. <laughs> he also looks like he's wearing like you know gloves, like 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 wool gloves. But no, it's not, it's not a bad cover. I just I just don't really I just haven't cared for any of the covers on these three stories. I really haven't. I. I like Starlin, and I respect Starlin. I don't think Starlin draws the DC heroes very well. I think he draws Marvel cosmic better than anybody, mm-hmm. but I'm just not a fan of his DC artistic work. Now the writing, I actually like some of, so I can't right. uh, say too much on that, but I just, I just didn't care for the covers at all. Actually. I like 184, but yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll agree with you on these other two. I didn't really care for either one of them very much. 184, I see more uh, more Perez in there than whoever else is in there. Uh, that one I, I really like, but yeah, these other two, yeah, they're they're a little bit wonky. But that just is, and I'm just sorry. in general, you know, to finish out the story is that you know it, it was a neat story. It had the JSA, the JLA, and the New Gods. So it's like there's a there's a checklist somewhere of of who these characters have to talk to and hang out with and this just checks off the new god story. It's serviceable. The Perez art really takes it up a notch. I didn't dislike it. I liked it better than say the Earth S or the Legion crossover. Oh yes. Um it's just I'm sorry. The next the next story that we're going to discuss just takes this one out back and shoots it execution style. So, <laughs> Well, what do you say we take a little break and we'll come back and we'll tackle those other three? Yes, that sounds good. While attending a demonstration in radiology, student Peter Parker was bitten by a spider which had accidentally been exposed to radioactive rays. Through a miracle of science, Peter soon found that he had gained the arachnid's powers and had, in effect, become a human spider. Stan Lee presents... Spider-Man, Spider-Man, does whatever a spider can. Spins a web, any size, catches seeds, just like flies. Look out, here comes the Spider-Man. Welcome to Amazing Spider-Man Classics, where every month I and some friends will be discussing every book, every guest appearance, and every cameo we can find of our favorite web slinger, The Amazing Spider-Man. Are you tired of arguing over whether Ben Riley should have taken over the webs? Do you grow weary of the brand new day with all of its controversy? Then return with us to the early days. Return with us to the classics. Amazing Spider-Man Classics at Amazing Spider-Man. Dot Libsyn dot com. To him, life is a great big hang up. Wherever there's a hang up, you'll find the Spider Man. Okay, let's get this show on the road, gang. Batman. 
second job for Superman. Monthly Mondays. Available the third Monday of every month at two truefreaks.libson.com. Excelsior, Spider Man fans! We're Thomas Mattis and Donald Mark, and we want to invite you to the most web slinginest podcast around Spectacular Webs Podcast, a podcast dedicated to one of them best animated superhero shows on television today, the spectacular Spider-Man animated series, where we review each episode of the series. We dive into music, art, and story, and web and special guests for interviews, all in our own slapstick comedic chatter. So if you're looking for one swinging podcast about your favorite web slinger, zip down to the Spectacular Webs podcast at www.spectacularwebspodcast.com podmatic.com or search us out on iTunes by typing spectacular webs in the search box and please remember to leave us iTunes reviews when you go to iTunes and fan mail at spectacularwebs at yahoo.com so until then stay Stay spectacular alrighty that takes us into Justice League of America number 195 uh, I'm just going to call this story the story title of this one. I sound like Aquaman from Brave and the Bold. I'm going to call this story the time Scott and Mike stayed up too late talking about comics. <laughs> um, uh, target on two worlds. And uh, from the Justice League, we have the Atom, Batman, Black Canary, Firestorm, and Wonder Woman. And from the Justice Society, we have The Flash, Hawkman, a rare appearance by our man, Johnny Thunder, and, yes, the Earth 2 Superman. Mm-hmm. Yes! Written in, uh, written by Jerry Conway, uh, drawn, or at least penciled by George Perez, and they are also co-credited as storytellers. Now, this synopsis is going to seem very bare-bones, And I do not want you to think that it's because I dislike the story. It's just for synopsis sake, there's a lot of stuff that can be broken down into one or two sentences. So starting off on Earth 1 and Earth 2, villains are recruited for a new secret society of supervillains. The monocle is brought in by a mystery man, Signal Man. Can you believe Signal Man's in this story? I like Signal Man. I'm not a big fan. Signal Man is brought in by Killer Frost, and the Psycho Pirate is broken out of jail by the Monocle. The Cheetah of Earth One is re- recruited by Earth Fro- by Ki- Earth Frost, Killer Frost. Monocle and Psycho Pirate bring in Ragdoll. Killer Frost, Cheetah, and Signal Man force the Floronic Man, Jason Woodrow, to join the group as well. 
The Mist is recruited by the mystery figure, and finally Brainwave joins the crew, and they are all brought before their leader, who is revealed to be the Ultra-Humanite in big ape mode. (laughs) After Ragdoll reveals the Ultra-Humanite's origin, their new leader explains that he has assembled them to fight their counterparts on the Justice League and Justice Society. According to the Humanite, by eliminating these ten heroes, they will be able to eliminate all superheroes on both Earth-1 and Earth-2, and a cosmic balance will be achieved. Meanwhile, the annual meeting between the JSA and JLA goes off without a hitch. Black Canary is left behind for monitor duty and is attacked by the Mist. On Earth-2, the Monocle takes down Hawkman. On Earth-1, Wonder Woman is defeated by the Cheetah. After hearing reports from his minions, the Ultra-Humanite thinks how he has been lying to the villains and that the superheroes from one Earth will be eliminated, which will result in one Earth being destroyed. But the Humanite isn't picky about which one dies. One thing is for certain. If the villains find out they are being duped, there will be hell to pay. So basically in this, the Ultra-Humanite is Uncle Ben. Uncle Owen? Uncle Owen, not Uncle Ben, Dar. Uncle Owen <laughs> from, from Star Wars. Better have those droids on the mid range. What is it? The droids on the. Oh, Working on the South Pasture. Uh, it's, it's, it's something like that. <laughs> you should know this better than I do. I You're know, I'm blanking. I'm tired. I'm so tired. I know. I, I just, We're going to keep doing this. This is going to be hell for us. <laughs> Unfortunately, we're going to have to podcast about nothing but like Rob Liefeld image books. That would be hell. Oh. Um, and like do a good job with it, too. So we go into part two. As the Monocle, Mist, and Cheetah talk about their victories, the Humanite explains that by eliminating five heroes from each Earth, the resulting cosmic hoo-ha will result in all heroes disappearing from one Earth, though he doesn't know which Earth it will be. Meanwhile, on Earth 2, the Psycho Pirate attacks a a dinner that Rex Tyler is attending, but before long, the Pirate defeats his adversary, Our Man. On Earth 1, Signal Man defeats the Batman. Still trying to figure that one out. On Earth 2, the Flash... I just would like to um, hold this as Exhibit A... For all the people that think that Batman could take out Superman, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna hold on to this issue. <laughs> he got his ass kicked by Signal Man. I rest like my ass def- kicked by Crazy Quilt. I mean, <laughs> the defense rests. <laughs> um, on Earth Two, the Flash is taken out by Ragdoll. On Earth One, the Atom puts up a really good fight against the Floronic Man, but eventually loses the battle. On Earth Two. Brainwave traps both Johnny Thunder and his Thunderbolt. <laughs> Sorry. I hate Johnny Thunder still. I know you do. It's on okay, Earth- dude. On Earth 1, Firestorm is taken out by Killer Frost. It's really awesome to see Killer Frost and Firestorm both drawn by George Perez. Yes, it is. On Earth 2, Superman is drawn to the Metropolis City Zoo where the ultra-humanite and a bunch of other apes ambush him. And then somewhere in there, his S disappears from his chest, because it's, like, gone for the rest of the issue. 
Finally, all of the heroes are assembled. The humanite dramatically starts the cosmic centrifuge, and once it attains maximum speed, all ten heroes will disappear, and the cosmos will never be the same. Which leads us into part three. We open on the heroes disappearing, and the villains getting kind of pissed because the world didn't change dramatically like it was supposed to. The, The humanite tells them to be patient, and recaps the previous issue for those that came in late. Just as the mist goes to attack the humanite, the world goes crazy around them, and in short order, the heroes are gone and Earth 2 is theirs. The villains of Earth 1 get their noses out of joint because of this, but they start when they start mouthing off, the humanite sends them back to Earth 1. <laughs> After fighting amongst themselves, Killer Frost reveals that she has a plan. The first step is to kidnap Green Lantern and use to get him at JLA headquarters. Once they reach their destination, they take out the elongated man, use the transmatter machine to transport to Earth 2, sit down with a cup of tea, and wait for it to all blow over. Meanwhile, on Earth 2, the villains are having a yabba-dabba-doo time, a dabba-doo time. Um, I mean, they're just having a gay old time with no heroes on the Earth. The humanite busts in on the UN and declares himself leader of the free world, which is no longer free. While all of this is going on, the villains of Earth-1 break out the heroes of both worlds from Limbo and get a serious ass-kicking for their troubles. (laughs) And and, and really, what did they expect? Seriously. You just put them in this thing, and and you're like the first person they see when they get out. You you deserve to get smacked. (laughs) On Earth-2... The villains assemble at the humanite's place, which confuses the hell out of him because he didn't summon them. Suddenly, the heroes emerge, and another awesome throwdown happens as the JLA and the JSA beat the living piss out of the secret society. (laughs) And in the end, all of the villains, including the humanite, are transported to the limbo, the villains intended for the heroes, and as the JLA and JSA compare notes, the villains of Earth-1 fight the villains of Earth-2 in limbo. There is nothing wrong with this story. No, there's not. I like like it. This is the best JLA-JSA crossover ever. (laughs) The art is so awesome. When you can make Signal Man look good, I mean, seriously. And man, the cheetah? The cheetah's got some junk in that trunk, and that's awesome. Oh man, just I'm just looking through this first issue and all of the fights and the art. And you know that cheetah costume really isn't all that good, but Perez makes it work. Yeah. I mean, I prefer his redesign of the character. But she's not all that different really, I don't think. She just looks a little more feral. Feral, now, yeah. To me, the best thing about this issue art-wise is that freaking um two-page spread in the middle. Yes. With the JLA and the JSA. Oh, man, that is so awesome. That was the wallpaper on my computer for a very long time. You know what the only problem I have with it is it being my wallpaper, because I had it for a little while, too, is I really want someone to go in and, like, digitally recolor it. Yeah. And really make it pop. Because mm-hmm. that would be great. Because, man, Perez just knocks everybody out of the park on this one. Yeah. I mean, and, and Robin with that cape curled up in his fist. 
it's like, wow, he is the protege of the Dark Knight detective, isn't he? He looks really awesome there. And you know, when when Stapper Carr looks at Johnny Thunder and goes, dude, you're a weenie. That's, uh... <laughs> yeah. But seriously, just, just, just that whole first issue. You know, the thing... The fact of the matter is, is that I should be ripping this story apart. I should be picking apart about how cliched it is, how it's just a series of fights. But you know what? When you have the JLA and the JSA together, that's what you're looking for. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, seriously. But what makes the first issue of this story for me is the two pages of the JLA and the JSA hanging out. I mean, just just the the dialogue. It's great. <laughs> Power Girl, want to see some etchings? Another time, Firestore, when you're a little older. <laughs> Batman putting his hands on Huntress's shoulders and her suddenly yelling, I need an adult, I need an adult. Uh, i tell you but, what, uh, I, I agree with you. I really like the... Uh... That moment, you know, the, the, these are actually the moments I think I like better than fights and stuff is, is, is it feels a little bit more like modern comics where you would get a little more downtime and a little bit more of these human interest moments or whatever you want to call it, you know, where the characters would actually just talk to each other. I like that. And you didn't get a whole lot of it in comics back during this period because they felt like. You know, the kids would feel cheated if there wasn't a big fight in every issue or something. But these are the moments I really like. But I like it on the villain side as well. You know, I like, yes. you know, seeing the the villains all come together. And it just occurred to me, one of the reasons I think I really like the way it sh- it does all the villains in this is that they're all tied together with, at the end of each villain story, you know, one of the Earth 2 villains comes for one of the other villains and it, and it almost feels like when harbinger would would come to collect yeah. the the heroes and the different characters for the crisis and it just that. takes up like the first three quarters of the issue and it's just awesome mm-hmm. you don't i mean outside of the splash page where you see like the you know the three heroes xed off and man everything looks good this is nothing but the setup for the story right and Conway takes his time, and Perez makes the art look so awesome. Everything's dynamic. When those guys go to attack the cheetah, I mean, they're really gonna they're gonna rape her, basically, right? And she just kills them. I mean, <laughs> that yeah, that was one of my notes as well. Was that you know this story for its time is very brutal because you've got the ragdoll shooting a cop. Yeah. You've got uh, Cheetah just claws the hell out of those guys who, you know, again, that was my note as well, that they were going to rape her. I mean, there there wasn't really a, a whole lot of... Uh, Subtlety there. Yeah, not at all. And also the mist drives his former henchman off a cliff. I mean, that, yeah. that was some pretty, pretty cool, but some pretty brutal stuff for, for what is, you know, arguably still a kiddie comic back in the day. I thought but that just... was great. It raises the stakes for this crossover, though. Oh, yeah. It's like the fr- this is the first time where I felt the villains were really a threat mm-hmm. in any of these. Right. I mean, and I've read up until this one, I've read them all. So this isn't just me guessing. This is me knowing 
the fact that even when they were fighting the crime syndicate, I never got that the crime syndicate was a threat. Right. And Mordru really wasn't a threat because as you explained in that episode, there was a time where Mordru was like the big badass of the Legion's villains. Right. I mean, and in that one, he was just like, oh, I'm just here. And Darkseid really wasn't even treated as like the villain he should be because really when you break down it, break, break that story down, it's, I am going to destroy Earth too. Right. Here, the Humanite has put together a new team of the Secret Society of Supervillains. And Signal Man included, this is a badass team of bad guys. I mean, there isn't like, like the, the monocle, I've never really thought of a monocle, but you know, when Perez draws him, he looks really awesome. So, and then we get we get the origin of the Ultra Humanite in three panels, and I absolutely love it because he fought Superman years ago and almost defeated him half a dozen times. Some say he's smarter than Alexei Luther. I loved that reference. Yeah, just absolutely re- loved it. And then is this the first time we see him in the monkey body? I'm kind of thinking it might be actually. I, I meant to look that up before we started, and I failed to. But uh, I'm thinking just by their reaction and by the story explaining, you know, why he's now wearing an ape body. I'm thinking this is probably the first appearance of that ape body. And I'm also but- thinking that the reason that he's been in shadow up until that reveal on page 16 is that maybe it was misleading, making the reader think that it was going to be Gorilla Grodd because Gorilla Grodd had been the leader of the secret society up to this point. But, uh, just, you know, he looks a little Amish in places. I will say that it's kind of of goofy, but you know, whatever. But no, seriously. I thought he looked like he was wearing one of those. What what is it? The Jewish people wear the the yarmulke or whatever on his head. That's that's kind of what I, I thought it looked like. <laughs> He's cool. Though. I really like the uh, the ultra humanite. That was one of my biggest notes. Was the ultra humanite with a bunch of exclamation points after it. I also got a big kick. Although he doesn't do anything, I just thought it was nice to see uh, Aquaman in this issue however however briefly he's yes i thought that was really cool and the mist gains his uh intangibility powers in this particular issue which i thought was really cool so moving on to the do you got anything about this issue anything else my last thing about this issue was uh perez's wonder woman is especially just smoking hot in the uh the battle pages on page 24 um i think if you just look at the pictures it's kind of self-explanatory why i like these uh panels so much but But, yes moving right along well, well well i actually got one more thing to say um the letters page of this issue. There's a there's a gentleman named Kent who I feel very, very sorry for. Uh oh. What's his problem? Oh Kent Fennis, this guy was constantly writing into comics. He must have yeah. had much of a life back in the day or something. I just he must have gotten picked on like you wouldn't believe as a kid. Take the H out of his last name. <laughs> Uh, 
second part in 196. God, that's a great cover of all of the of, of ultra humanites standing over all the heroes as they're defeated. Again, another really strong issue art wise. Perez does flashbacks really, really well. I mean, in this one, he really doesn't even go into like showing what happened. He just shows all the faces of the heroes and the villains with the uh, ultra humanites sitting there just kind of staring off. It was great. I like that panel a lot. I really do. Like our man. I like the psycho pirate. That whole scene with the psycho pirate is amazing. The, uh, the shirt rip by our man on the bottom of page. Four yeah. Is just great. I love that. How do you disguise the collar? I never understood that, but, <laughs> but the Batman scene is great too. Just that first shot of Batman and the over, you know, like looking up, like you're looking up from the city streets and he's rounded everything. So it gives that like dizzying type of, yeah, yeah it's really cool. I like that. The uh, the Flash one, really cool, because you think the Monocle's going to be the villain, and then Ragdoll shows up. It's just they're, they're coordinating with each other. They're really taking their time to take these guys out. And even, you know, I've never really cared about the Atom all that much, but that <laughs> battle with the Floronic Man was cool. <laughs> um, yeah, Johnny Thunder's going to get trapped because of a freaking free suit. That's great. Um, <laughs> it's too bad that the that the updated look didn't stick, though, because he, he goes right back to the stupid bow tie look after this. Yes. <laughs> um, the Superman scene was cool, just from beginning to end. I, li- I like, always liked Perez's take on the Earth 2 Superman, and he's fighting monkeys. That's awesome. But where does his symbol go? It just completely freaking disappears. Well, I always took it to be that it's just covered up because he's got like a like a layer of like oh, kryptonite okay. dust that, or dust. That makes you know, sense. Kryptonite, you know, uh, paint spray all over him or something like that. You know, because that's what it looks. Is it looks like the the uh, ultra humanite has like kryptonite Krylon coming out of the front of his outfit right there and it because superman says kryptonite in a fine spray and he collapses (laughs) on the ground so i I don't know i mean but the rest of him looks so detailed that it does look a little bit wonky. actually if you look at the next to last panel on page 26 you can just see a little tiny bit of superman's s on his chest so yeah that is really wonky yeah it's just kind of weird but uh you know, it, it's a minor, minor consideration. Yeah. Everything else about this issue was just completely awesome. Well, I'm going to take exception on that point with just one thing. Because it, this has always bugged me right from uh, as a child. I love this story. Don't get me wrong. I absolutely adore this story. However, now that I'm older and rereading it for the first time in a whole lot of years, the Ultra Humanites plan is completely ridiculous. I mean, it it ends up working in the story. So, I mean, within the the logic of the story itself, it it all works out. So I guess it's not really so much the ultra-humanites plan so much as it's it's the writer's conceit, I guess. But the idea that taking out these 10 people 
are going to cause like this cosmic shift on Earth too, where all the superheroes disappear. It, it, that's really silly, I think, ultimately. But thankfully, you know, I'm I'm able to overlook that. I'm o- I'm able to to you know put my brain on hold for that one point and still enjoy the rest of the story because you're right. You know, I love this this dynamic of you know I've always been a sucker for the teams full of just freaks. And that's really what the secret society is in this story. It's just a team full of freaks that as a kid, all of these people were a mystery to me. I didn't know any of these guys. I mean, typically with these types of stories with the JLA and the JSA, you'd get like the big name villains, you know, in this one here, it's really guys that, Except for maybe like the cheetah, you know, Wonder Woman's, because she's arguably Wonder Woman's number one villain. You know, besides her, I hadn't heard of any of these people. I mean, the freaking ragdoll, Monocle, I didn't know. I mean, as, I'm talking like when I was a kid, you know, I didn't know who the hell these people were. Signal Man? Who the hell is Signal Man? You know, Killer Frost, I didn't know only because I didn't know Starman. Or, excuse me, a Firestorm, rather. Why did I say Starman? A Firestorm. And Ultra Humanite. You know, like I, you know, like we were saying, more than likely this was the first time we'd seen him in the in the ape thing. So I like that. I really I like that dynamic. It's the whole reason I'm reading uh, Secret Six today because I really like that dynamic of just a, a a team full of weirdos all just kind of thrown together with each other. So that was the, the one of the really cool aspects of the story. Um. I totally agree with you about the art in this issue. Absolutely fantastic. Um, this this is Perez like right at the top of his game, I think, for this time period. Um, I particularly liked, like you cited, the Batman sequences by Perez and the Superman sequence right at the end of the book. Um, again, the Earth 2 Flash forgets that he can run really, really fast. Because, again, he's taken out by something pretty mundane for or what should be mundane, I would think, for the fastest man alive. I mean, he actually looks over and spots the bomb that blows up and takes him out a moment later. It's like, you know, stop being stunned into inaction, you know, see the bomb and run like hell. You're the fastest man alive. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. I did have a note after all it turned out on the atom, um, which was it was just you know is it me or did the Earth One shrinking atom always pretty much kind of suck until Roger Stern got his hands on him? I mean, <laughs> I've always wondered your your opinion on that series. <sighs> oh, I liked uh, I liked Roger Stern's take on the atom with that Power of the Atom series. I thought it was really really well done because. I always have the utmost respect for any writer that can take a character that I always looked at and went, yeah, whatever, and could do something with him. You know, we had talked a while ago about uh, about John Byrne's run on Namor because that was a character I always dismissed as just, you know, Namor. He's lame. But he took him and made him interesting to me. And Roger Stern did the same thing with the Atom, which was a character that I never imagined – that I could find interesting and he made him cool. He made him a a very interesting character, but back during this period, I've never understood shrinking characters in general, to be honest with you. I, I don't, 
I don't get the appeal for one, but also I don't get the logic in it. I can understand if you grow to like mammoth proportions, you know, guys like Goliath or Colossal Boy or something. I understand that you grow huge and you smash things that that I get. But how you can be an effective superhero because you shrink down to the size of an action figure. How the hell does that work? And there's a lot of them. You know, there's a whole bunch of these guys. And I don't see why any of them ever got past, like, the first time somebody tried to step on them. <laughs> you know, get a fly swatter, you could take the atom out. But anyway, that's just me busting on the atom. Um, the Earth 2 Superman, it pretty much looks to me like he's flying here at the end of this story. Is You know... Didn't we uh, see him a while back in uh, All Star Comics, and and he and Power Girl were, you know, they had established that they still had to do the jumping thing. But in this yeah. one, he seems to be pretty much like an older version. Be, I'm sorry. That seems to be something that they uh, that they play fast and loose with. Yeah, yeah, really that's easily. yeah, that's kind of what I was getting at. Was it, it feels like they're they're not remembering what they they'd already set up. Also. And maybe this is just me, but I thought the the super breath thing was more of an Earth One thing than an Earth Two. You know, does that seem like a like an ability that this version of Superman should I have? He had it. I actually thought he had it. Okay. In all honesty. Okay. I don't, like I said, I thought I thought it might just be me, but that seems like one of Superman's. Um, I don't know. I want to say like wackier powers, but just. Something I would think of as more as like as he ramped up, yeah, over the years and and got to the point where he was flying in outer space and shit like that. That that was more of one of those style of powers rather than closer to a golden age power. But anyway, those are just nitpicky type of things. I, I really did uh, dig this issue. And uh, what have you got on the on the very last one? Because. This this is probably the one I've got the most notes on would be the last issue. Um starting off with you know again the recap's kind of cool. You know, we we you know we're this is just how comics were done back then. I a lot of people seem to get mad at recaps in comics like this. I just accept it as kind of part of the natural process. You know, you know who gets mad at them? People who? that didn't grow up with them. Oh, that's true. I can see that. Uh, page four, Ultra Humanite looks really wonky there. He doesn't look like he does in any other page in this book, in any of these series. Which one, page um, four? Yes, right there at the bottom. At the risk of getting letters, I think he looks like a rabbi in that picture. <laughs> okay. Oh, I mean, if that's wrong, then edit it out. But I just, No, I, it does look like he's wearing a yarmulke. You're absolutely well, it's right. It's not just that. It's, it's, he's got like the whole, like the, the beard and maybe not, maybe not a rabbi, but like a, um, well, what did you say? But you said like Amish or something. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah, very much so. That's more what I was going for. Um, is it me or does it seem like this issue, like there were times where other people were, yeah, Keith Pollard did a lot of the pages in this. And that's probably where I think the wonkiness of the art comes. Cause that's my biggest complaint of this issue is that the art is very inconsistent. 
you know, that, that, okay, on page nine, when, when they go after Green Lantern, that doesn't look like the Green Lantern we have seen for the past couple of issues. And I understand they probably had to do that for deadline purposes, but it's just kind of distracting. It really is. And wow, page 11, really, Ralph? That, that's how you're going to fall unconscious with your tongue sticking out? That, <laughs> that's freaking great, Ralph. Good, good, good going. Don't embarrass yourself. Really, seriously. And I think, um, wow, Brainwave's creepy on page 14 when he breaks into that girl's, uh, that actress's yeah. uh, thing. Allow me to introduce yourself. I'm your new lover. Wow. <laughs> Scream if you like. No one can help you. God. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, wow. <laughs> uh, I kind of like that the villains decide to get even by releasing the heroes. What did they think was going to happen after those doors opened up? Seriously. <laughs> but um, I kind of like the ending where they all show up at the Ultra Humanites place and he's like, what are you doing here? And then you have that awesome one-page splash of the League standing there, Superman hand, fists on his hips, the you know Hawkman floating, Batman sitting there with a the cape swirling. Everything looks awesome. Just completely awesome. Good final fights. It's, it's the heroes getting back at the people that beat them. Uh, kind of standard, but at the same time, the problem I have with this ending is the problem I had with the previous issues ending is that it just ends. Right. You know, the story just comes to a stop and that's it. So other than that, I don't really have a whole lot to say. I mean, I, uh, this is my favorite JLA JSA crossover. It's goofy elements aside. I love it. It has everything in the crossovers I want to see. So not too much bad to say about it, except the art issues in this last, uh, last chapter. I wasn't trying to be mean by saying that that it's people that didn't grow up in this era, but honestly, as someone who did grow up in this era, and I don't know if it's, if it was this way for every kid back in the day, but it was definitely this way for me growing up, is that a lot of times you couldn't get every issue. Yep. I mean, unless you went to wherever the comics were sold every friggin' day and bugged the hell out of somebody... You know, a lot of times it was completely hit and miss. And a lot of times, even if you did go to where the comics were sold every time that you thought the new issues might be out, sometimes they didn't get the same comics, you know, every single time. Yep. You know, one time they might get, you know, a certain selection of titles. The next time, the next month, it might be a completely different selection. So those recaps helped bring you up to speed. Especially, and, and this is why I bring it up, 197 for me, honestly, this, this might sound really maudlin, but this was like visiting an old friend. This was one of the earliest comics I had when I got serious about collecting comics. I had an old, coverless, torn and tattered copy of 197. So when I got to this issue and I turned the, the cover and I looked at that, and I was like, oh, my God, this is that issue because it had been so long since I'd read it. And uh, 
despite my thinking that the art takes a serious step down from the two prior issues, because I, I, I really think that Keith Pollard did a lot more work in this than, uh, than George yeah. Perez did still, like I say, it, it was, it was like going home again. This, this was, it just brought back so many memories to me of really, really digging this story as a kid. And this was the only issue of the three that I had as a kid. So without that recap, I wouldn't have known what the hell was going on. But it, it was enough of a, of a solid recap that it brought me right up to speed. I knew exactly what was happening. I might not know all the characters, but, you know, you, you got everybody pretty quick. And then you've got that nice recap on page four that didn't necessarily tell you who all the villains were, but it told you who they all fought. You know, you, you quickly figured out who was the enemy of who. I like that. I thought that was really cool. Where, you know, I can totally see where, where someone today looking back on this would get really burned. You know, if they were sitting down and say you were going to, you know, you, you got some trade collection or you downloaded some torrent or something and you were going to sit down and read, say, 20 issues of any title from back in the day that did a recap every single issue. I can see where after like the third or fourth issue, you'd be like, Oh my God, you know, it'd, it'd really be getting on your nerves, but they were kind of vital back during this time, you know, especially when you didn't have the internet or, you know, resource books or anything to get you up to speed. You just, you had to rely on that recap page. But, uh, I wanted to point out something that I think you'll get a real kick out of Mike. If you can pull up um, the cover to DC Comics Presents number four, I'll, I'll vamp and, while you're doing that. By the way, okay. Uh, you had mentioned something about Signal Man before. See, this was like I say, one of the the earliest comics that I that I got when I started to build a collection as a kid, and so I didn't realize the the reputation of some of these guys. You know, Signal Man being one of them. So to me, you know, he was right there as, you know, he's a Batman villain. You know, he was right here in this issue. You know, he had, you know, in the recap, it had told how he had taken down Batman and all that. He stood tall with all the other uh, villains that were in this issue. So I never really saw any, you know, any inherent lameness in that character. So I actually like him. I, I always thought he was kind of cool, but I, I can see what you mean where. Okay. Which he, issue am I looking for? Number four. Okay. With the metal men. Yes. Uh -huh. You're looking at the cover. Yes, I am. All right. Now look at the first panel on page four of 197. Page four. Uh-huh. Which one's page four? It's the one where it's recapping how all the heroes got taken down by the, by the villains. That does look like the same freaking picture. Does it not? Yes. I flipped to that page while reading this story, and I was like, I know I have seen that same pose of Superman I mean, right somewhere down else. To where the hand is. Yeah, wow. that was what did it was the hand because he's making that kind of you know that that gesture. You know what I mean? And I looked at that and I said, I know I've seen Superman in this exact you never know same how to pose. Feel about that. What's that? I really don't. I never know how to feel about swipes like that because, you know, Rob Liefeld gave it a really bad name when he was just, you know, flat out redrawing things right. from other people. But with something small like that, it's like, 
I guess he just wanted some kind of reference material and grabbed it. So I wonder if it's that or if it was supposed to be a subtle homage or maybe a subtle parallel because, you know, this is the Earth 2 Superman and maybe this was what was supposed to be happening to him at the same time that this battle with Kemo was happening to the Earth. Well, I don't know, but I just it, it I'm I'm just amazed that I was actually able to find the picture because it just stuck with me for days after I looked at that panel going, God damn, I know I've seen that somewhere. And then, and then so this I, image of you going through your day and like, you know, like picking up your kids from school and thinking about it, lying in bed at night with like your eyes wide open, <laughs> thinking about it, like making breakfast and you're just not really paying attention. <laughs> And then suddenly you go, I know what that is. And your kid like freaks out and gets scared. (laughs) It was pretty close to that, actually. (laughs) Now, I want a T-shirt of this cover and I want it right now. Oh, it is an awesome cover. It is a great cover. Now, Superman has a bit of a craniac head, but I think it's supposed to look... Yeah, I mean, I think it's supposed to look like uh, like maybe like he has like a receding hairline or something because he's the older Superman. Still stuck on the word craniac. <laughs> it's kind of awesome. <laughs> but you know what I mean? He's got a bit yes. a bit too much forehead. It looks like maybe his wig's slipping off or something. But, but other Paper. than that, <laughs> I, I really dig it. I think it's really, uh, it's really cool. Oh, uh, what else have I got? Oh, okay. Now you've got uh you've got what's her name? Killer Frost. She's ready to uh well what does she do? She freezes Signalman's hand in that one part. You know, he reaches out, he's trying to yes. help her up. He's like, Here, let me give you a hand, beautiful. And she freezes his hand. And then just a couple panels later, she says that uh she wants to achieve power, power to punish men for spurning me. And I'm thinking, Signal Man just tried to be nice to you, you crazy bitch. So what is wrong with her, you know? Can I, can I make a confession right here, right now on the podcast? Uh-huh. I always thought Killer Frost was kind of hot. I have no idea why. I did too, but it occurs to me through the course of this story. You know, on page 11, panel 6... She goes on with this whole thing. She's talking to the cheetah about how all men deserve death. And earlier in this story, she had called cheetah. She called her something like my darling or something. Mm. Um, had she slipped to the dark side at some point? And I just didn't really catch this as a kid. Or why does that have to be the dark side? Well, I'm I'm just using a, a, an analogy. <laughs> I just I I like to refer to it playing for the home team. <laughs> okay, I like that. That works. <laughs> but but answer the question. I mean, um, you, you think you know so? What? It wouldn't, okay, if this were a comic published today, that would totally be the entire issue. Okay, would be them making out. Um, I, that. I think. It was it. You could argue that it's there. You really could, and it's really subtle, which is why I like it. If it is that way, I like that because that means, you know, Conway with this story seemed to ramp. Like we said before, seemed to ramp up 
how dangerous this is mm-hmm. without being gratuitous about it. It's like this is how I like to see this level of violence and and maturity, quote unquote, dealt with in a comic. I don't need to see Sue Dibney being raped. I really don't. I don't want to see that. But when you're dealing with it in the subtle way, like in the first part when those guys go to attack the cheetah and she kills them, you know, it's rough, it's violent, but it's not, you know, you don't see blood flying and you don't see entrails and you don't see Black Adam putting his fist through the psycho pirate's head. I mean, I I like that. So if that's the case, if this is Jerry Conway saying, you know, she's... She's a lesbian, and she's coming on to Cheetah. Then more power to him for be, doing it so subtly. Yeah, I like that. I, I I'll, I'll totally agree with you because so, then that way you can exercise your own personal continuity as well. Exactly. So if and you're uncomfortable with you know with the hero that you you you've been reading about and that you know you may be looked up to as a kid or something. You know, that somebody else wants to interpret something he says or does that, you know, that he's gay and you're not cool with that, that, you know, you can exercise your own thing. So, yeah, I I can completely buy what you're saying that that works much better for me. And, you know, people might call it old fashioned and people might think that the best way to handle such a situation is to go all out because that makes it edgier. I just think that makes you a lazy storyteller. <laughs> I'll buy that. I'll I mean, completely seriously. buy that. So, But I'm going to stop because I'm about to get off on a rant that I really don't want to get on because it's not that I'm trying to be more positive. I'm just trying not to focus on the stuff I hate. Right. So- <laughs> right. I think that was – I think both of us went in either consciously or subconsciously to this episode with, with that because these are two storylines that we both agreed that we really love. So I'm – trying to to bring the positive more myself. Although yes. I do have one comment that okay. I guess is not entirely positive, but uh, I, I feel it has to be pointed out. You know, it, it occurred to me that another mystery of uh, for me personally was solved tonight while we were doing this episode. You know, it's been asked to me many, many times, why in the hell am I saving all these comic books? You know, why do I collect them? Why do I hold on to them? Why don't I want to part with them? And much like I said, I wanted to hold that one issue in evidence, you know, of of how Batman could not defeat Superman. I want to hold this particular uh, issue right here, 197, particularly pages 9 and 10, as evidence that um, Hal Jordan sucks. (laughs) Yeah, he does. He gets taken down by the cheetah. Yeah. Okay. So, again, the defense rests, okay? Hal Jordan, lame, lame, lame. Okay, moving on. <laughs> Ralph Dibney doesn't really shine in this issue either. Yeah, but I, I've always considered it a given that Ralph Dibney sucks, but maybe that's just me. Jesus. I'm sorry, am I too too negative? Um, no, page 22, funny. I'd I like to... expecting it. <laughs> I never liked him. Actually, I did like him when he wore the purple costume and was drawn by uh, Carmine, by Carmine Infantino. Infantino. I loved that stuff as a kid. There's this one story where uh, he uh, reached his ear down a chimney to eavesdrop 
on the villains. I know what I you're talking about. You, I can't tell you any more about that story, but that's one of my earliest memories as a kid was reading that. And it, it, that image has always stuck with me all my life. So it's weird the things that, that you, you never forget. Page 22, that, that splash page of all the heroes confronting the villains. This is the uh, Ultron we would have words with the... Oh, hell yes. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. This is a league and a society that is pissed off. And they are ready to bring the freaking noise. And they do. Because Superman's opening salvo is to punch the ultra-humanite dead in the face. (laughs) (laughs) I love the picture of him with his dukes up. It's the uh, fourth panel on page 26. Superman's just got both his dukes up. And the very next one, he belts the alternate <laughs> human eye off screen. That is great. And you know what? That really works with the Earth 2 Superman, too, that he would be more more violent, I guess is the best way to yeah. say it. More rough. Rough you know, and Because he's a bit yeah. of a scrapper. He's not as strong as the Earth Earth uh, Earth One Superman, so you know this fight is actually a fight. You know it, it, it's you know you know Superman's going to win because it's the end of the issue and that's going to happen. But uh, you know just the little touches in you know in all of these fights that the Black Canary basically blows the mist away. Well, that that you know you take a word out of that and that sounds really bad, but you know <laughs> she uses her canary cry and it just dissipates the mist and. The Flash is like doing, is just like, like like he's got a speed bag and, and on Ragdoll's face. That's great. And he's just, you know, everybody is just mad. And 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 our man, oh god, that is so awesome. He wraps the Psycho Pirate's cape around his head. <laughs> it's just. Oh, God, it's awesome. I just realized I never really said much about the inclusion of uh, of Our Man. but uh, It was an interesting choice. It, it really was. It was, and it was awesome because, and maybe, you know, now that I think about it, maybe my love of Our Man owes back into this issue, but I really do like him, and uh, he's one of those characters that, you know, we, uh, we all have characters that we look at you know that are the kind of the the lower tier characters and go wow you know i really like that guy wish you know he they do more with him our man is that way for me i i don't know what it is i just always really liked that character one of it is the, the outfit i always thought he just had an awesome outfit but yeah he he's just a cool character i wish that uh well, more dynamic think- things would happen with I think that's one of the reasons why I like this this entire storyline so much is that in the first two parts you got to see you got to see a lot of characters drawn by George Perez that you probably wouldn't have been able to see normally. Right. And Perez is one Perez, excuse me. Keep doing it. Uh Perez is one of those artists that can kind of make or break uh, the visual of a character. Oh, yeah. And I know in the... Yeah, I mean, it's just the monocle. Did you ever think the monocle would look cool? But well, in that See, this is issue, probably the first time I ever saw him here, so I never okay. really knew he looked any other way. But yeah, no real complaints on this one. Really awesome, really good story. Uh, I like the, yeah, uh, this is the... This is the way I wanted to go out. <laughs> I like seeing the uh, 
the effects of the dimensional vortex at the end with mm-hmm. the with the villains being drawn in the blue ink is uh looks a lot like what we would see with the uh the antimatter wall in crisis was drawn mm-hmm. much the same way i really like that it i it, it all se- starts to look like it all ties in is what i like um, i'll agree with that too definitely but yeah i agree with you i definitely uh i, I i'm glad that we're going out on a high note with this one uh, my last note was just great, great storyline. Uh, I agree with you. I think this is the best, the best team up, and I, I just enjoy the hell out of it. I really can't find fault with it, um, even when I tried. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to another exciting episode of Tales of the Justice Society of America, hosted by Scott H. Gardner and Michael R. Bailey. If you like this show, check out Back to the Bins, where Mike and I talk about random back issues from the past. You can find that at www.twotruefreaks.libsyn.com. Scott has another podcast that he hosts with his childhood friend and former personal masseuse and fry cook to Oprah Winfrey, Chris Honeywell called Two True Freaks, which, like Tales and Back to the Bins, can be found at www.twotruefreaks.lipson.com. Mike has a few other podcasts that he either hosts or co-hosts because he loves the sound of his own voice as well. The first is Views from the Longbox, which is Mike's solo show and can be found at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com. Then there's From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman podcast, which Mike hosts with Jeffrey Taylor, which can be found at both www.supermanhomepage.com and www.fortressofbailytude.com. Scott and I have gigantic egos, and we love to hear from the listeners. You can reach the show by writing to Tales of the JSA at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and come back next week for another installment of the Tales of the Justice Society of America. <laughs>